0: two ways in which sit-ins and civil disobedience and whatever, at least two major ways in which it can occur. One, when a law exists, is promulgated, which is totally unacceptable to people and they violate it again and again and again till it's rescinded, repealed. Sometimes the form of the law is such as to render impossible its effective violation. as a method to have it repealed. Sometimes, the grievances of people are more, extend more, to more than just the law, extend to a whole mode of arbitrary power, a whole mode of arbitrary exercise of arbitrary power. And that's what we have here. We have an autocracy which, run, which runs this university. It's managed. We were told the following. If President Kerr actually tried to get something more liberal out of the Regents in his telephone conversation, Why didn't he make some public statement to that effect? And the answer we received from a well-meaning liberal was the following. Would you ever imagine the manager of a firm making a statement publicly in opposition to his board of directors? That's the answer. I ask you to consider if this is a firm and if the board of regents are the board of directors and if President Kerr in fact is the manager and I tell you something, the faculty are a bunch of employees and we're the raw materials. But we're a bunch of raw materials that don't mean to be have any process upon us, don't mean to be made into any product, don't mean don't mean to end up being bought by some clients of the university, be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone or human beings. That brings me to the second mode of civil disobedience. There's a time, There's a time when the operation when the of the operation machine, of the becomes, machine so odious, becomes so odious, Makes it you makes so sick at heart, you sick that, at you heart, take heart take that you can't, you can't take part. Take you part. can't even passively take part. And you've got to put part. your bodies upon, the gears, put 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 your your bodies upon the gears and upon, upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate the people who it, to the people who run.
1: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to part two of our special midterm election reminder episodes. That was, again, Mario Savio, the 22-year-old University of California at Berkeley student speaking in uh, December of 1964, the leader of the free speech movement, the FSM on the uh, University of California at Berkeley. So the whole fight for Freedom of speech and freedom of expression is a a war that's continued. The fight for free speech is always an ongoing battle. And that's why it's so important that we defend a person's right to say what they want within the guardrails of the law. Let people offend other people with their speech. Because without that, everything goes south very quickly. Just like in 1964, thousands protested for free speech. And it's a battle that's still going on here in 2022 with big tech censorship. This government overreach under the guise of fucking misinformation, you know, for our own safety. They're trying to, they're trying to control your speech and everyone, regardless of whether you agree with the content or are offended by it, like it, love it. I don't give a shit. Regardless of your visceral reaction to the content, everyone needs to advocate for everyone's opportunity to speak Freely. When the framers told us that our democratic republic needs to be defended by its citizens, they were speaking from hindsight of all the democracies before that had failed. They knew that power inevitably gets too big, gets corrupted, and ultimately fails. And the assumption that the citizens would not trade their vote for free shit, that they would see through the dishonest politicians' attempt to trade influence for votes was why it was not written in the Constitution. And I would say, just like a bunch of other people would say, that that was a miss given human nature of the 20th and 21st century. And I've also mentioned the Supreme Court has let us down the most as well because they were supposed to be the last line of defense if the politicians got carried away. Right now, there are over 30,000 laws on the books, and I would bet a vast majority of them are A, unconstitutional, but more importantly, should have been struck down by the Supreme court. They were the adults in the room. They should have known better. They weren't supposed to be partisan body. This was pure checks and balances, just like judges in any court are supposed to be impartial and they were supposed to uphold the constitution. But here we are 2022, we got political corruption is just an accepted fact. of life, you know, career politicians are commonplace. We've been chasing our tail in the lesser of two evils with these two main political parties. We keep re electing underperformers, liars, crooks. We don't even care about the insider trading. We don't care about the politicians going from being broke to all of a sudden multi millionaires on the backs of taxpayers, Democrats or Republicans. It's the same shit. When Bill Clinton left office in 2001, he was in debt by $16 million due to his legal fees with his impeachment trial, with his shady-ass Arkansas dealings, and the actions taken against him to suspend his Arkansas law license. So when they left the White House, dead broke, that was a direct quote from Hillary, they were millions of dollars in debt. And that was erased in just three years. So by 2004, the Clintons paid off over $16 million in debt. And by 2016, just 12 years later, when Hillary ran for president, their net worth was $45 million. You might be asking yourself, geez, Nick, how does how does one make $45 million in 12 years? I want to get on that career path. Well, you get the speeches and the book deals, of course. Slick Willie gave 57 speeches and earned $13.7 million. And on their tax returns, it was labeled speaking and writing. He was getting about one hundred twenty-five dollars to $350,000 Per speech. That same year, Hillary got a $2.9 million advance of the $8 million book deal for her living history. Bill got a $10 million advance for his book, My Life. The Clintons started this windfall. The politicians brought home more than $153.7 million in speeches between 2001 and 2015. Right? The Bushes, I mean, well, they were already rich. You know, the, the, the Bush family's net worth was like $500 million. His family is one of the elites of the elite families that we covered their wealth and corruption in the episode, The Evil Behind the Curtain. So check that out if you want to see who the elites really are that run this country. And then we got Obama. In 2005, the Obamas officially became millionaires when they signed an incredible $1.65 million book deal. And after Barack Officially became president. The couple continued to land lucrative book deals. They signed a sixty million dollar book deal to publish their autobiographies. You know, he had eight years as president, making four hundred k a year. and Now he earns a pension of two hundred grand a year as a former president. And since leaving office, Obama has paid as much as four hundred thousand dollars per public speaking event. He's also received royalties from the proceeds of his books. And the books aren't the Obamas' only foray into media. They recently signed a production deal with Netflix. While financial details have not been released the New York Times reports that previous similar deals were worth tens of millions of dollars, so who knows how much they got from Netflix. All things considered, the Obamas could stand to earn as much as $242 million in their post-presidency life, according to the American University. You know, they got a couple houses. They, they still got their Chicago home that they bought for $1.65 million in 2005. And after leaving the White House, they had to buy something in Washington, right? So they bought an eighty-two hundred square foot mansion in DC for eight point one million. In two thousand nineteen, they dropped eleven point seven five million on a thirty acre estate on Martha's Vineyard, but that was a, that's a vacation home. It was a little smaller; it was only sixty eight hundred square feet. You know, I just don't remember seeing any past presidents on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And then we got. Joe Biden, whose net worth now is $9 million and main source of that is book deals and speaking fees. You know, he's got two Delaware homes valued at $4 million combined and the rest of his $9 million is cash investments with the help of his son and federal pension worth over a million dollars. Although Biden had made a steady income as a politician because he's been in there since the '70s, the majority of his wealth has come from book deals and speaking fees. Just this is like a recurring theme. I'm hope you're picking up on. Biden's starting salary in the Senate was forty-two thousand a year in '79, and when he left the Senate in two thousand nine, he was making one hundred and sixty-nine grand a year. His vice president salary shot up to two hundred thirty grand a year, and now he's earning about four hundred grand a year as president. So, Biden's first book, Promises to Keep, earned him $71,000 in royalties, plus another nine grand for the audiobook rights. All this is around 2008-ish, but that's chump change compared to what he's earned since leaving the White House from 2017 to 19. Biden earned more than 15 million dollars, according to tax filings reviewed by Forbes. That includes a reportedly 8 million dollar book deal, 1.8 million for book tour events, 2.4 million in speaking fees, and you know 775 grand from the University of Pennsylvania to lead the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. Jesus. This is how the game is played. Influence is sold during their term in office and then payment is made when they get out. The speaking fees are the new political bribe. So this is the new envelope of cash is the whole speaking fee game. And if you look close at who's hiring them to speak, it is in that industry that they help the most. So let's look at the most egregious example of this in my lifetime. One month before the presidential election of 2008, the giant Wall Street Bank Citigroup submitted to the Obama campaign a list of its preferred candidates for cabinet positions in the Obama administration. This list corresponds almost exactly to the eventual composition of Barack Obama's cabinet. Citigroup's recommendation came just three days after then-President Bush signed into law the Troubled Asset Relief Program, That's the TARP legislation, which allocated $700 billion of taxpayer money to bail out Wall Street's biggest banks. That's the bailout. single biggest beneficiary was Citigroup, which was given $45 billion in cash in the form of government stock purchase. So the government bought Citigroup stock, $45 billion worth, plus another $306 billion government guarantee to back up its worthless mortgage-related assets. Okay? Then, presidential candidate Obama played a critical role in shepherding this massively unpopular bank bailout through Congress. The September financial crash convinced decisive sections of the U.S. corporate financial elite that the Democrat candidate of Hope and Change would be better positioned to contain popular opposition to the bailout than his Republican rival, Senator John McCain of Arizona. Okay, so they identified the Democrat, the minority Democrat from Chicago, who was Hope and Change, Hope and Change, was a way better spokesperson to sell this fucking sham to the american public and we all ate it up we had we had to bail out wall street or else there wouldn't be any money coming out of the atms and can you imagine if a white republican was going to say we're going to bail out wall street it would not have flown right and as president obama not only funneled trillions of dollars to the banks he saw to it that not a single leading wall street executive faced prosecution because of the financial collapse and the great recession and he personally intervened to block legislation capping executive pay at bailout firms so he went in and he blocked legislation that would would have prevented all those ceos from getting all the bonuses because when the when they got all that taxpayer money what they do they gave it to themselves as fucking bonuses would it surprise you Citigroup and other Wall Street banks hire Obama to speak at their offices and at their retreats and pay him 400 grand for an hour or so of his time? No, that's how the game is played. So, here we are, day before the midterm elections. What more evidence do you need? Hopefully this information gets your blood pressure up and you know we maybe get more involved in the process that's making all of our lives worse. Pressure your politicians to deliver action and not words. Ask questions. When they say some crazy shit like they're going to solve this, they're going to solve that, ask, how are you going to do that? But we also need to understand how things work. Government spending equals inflation. So them just spending money will never fix any of the problems that they claim to be trying to fix. Plus you get inflation out of it, so why are we even spending money? Our problems don't need money. They need good solutions. But those solutions need to be demanded by the people and the politicians held accountable if that does not happen. We need to demand more freedom, demand less government today, tomorrow, and every day going forward. This continues because we, the people, get engaged around election time. Right? Then we go into hibernation in between. And when we pop up, we get, we have this amnesia about what just happened. We forget about all the shit that they didn't do. All the lies they told while they, while they were in power. And we wake up and we all oh, just vote party lines in the next election. Or what I like to refer to elections as an advance auction on stolen goods. Because that's all they do. They promise to spend your taxpayer money for shit. And they suck. they sucker you into voting for them. This exists because we let it. They have power because we give it to them. The faster we realize that, the faster the hope and change we all thought we were getting may actually start to happen.
0: I come to this magnificent house of worship tonight because my conscience leaves me no other choice. will lay hand on the world order and say of war, this way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate. Interpreted to mean, unfortunately, by the bigots who run the Examiner, for example, that doesn't mean that you have to break anything. One thousand people sitting down someplace not letting anybody buy, not letting anything, anything happen can stop any machine, including this machine, and it will stop. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. on the way, make us all say whoa the people up top push the people down low get down.